I want you to watch this short video called The Voyage of Life. As Doug read in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I like the part where you can see the heart beating. I think that's so precious to realize that's not just a bunch of cells, but that is a living person with an eternal soul. On Friday, June 24th, 2022, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a landmark piece of legislation that made access to abortion a federal right in the United States. This current decision, which we are so thankful for, dismantled 50 years of legal protection and paved the way for individual states to curtail outright abortion or ban abortion. Currently, about 930,160 legally induced abortions are provided for annually in the United States. 43.7% of those are chemical abortions, otherwise known as the abortion pill. It's estimated that 63,459,781 abortions have been performed since the passage of Roe v. Wade in 1973. What is sad that even with the recent Supreme Court ruling is that most adult Americans believe that abortion for most any reason is right. According to the latest Pew Research polls and survey, 61% of adult Americans say that abortion should be legal in all or in most cases. Well, we know the question of the morality of abortion is not by popular vote, nor is it by cultural means but is determined by our almighty creator, God. In Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We call this the sanctity of life Sunday or right to life Sunday because the idea is that human life has sanctity. It is special. It's set apart by God. Only human life is God's design. It, as God's designed, it possesses the image of God. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The words image and likeness are synonyms. They indicate similarity but not identicalness. We are not or never will be gods. But what this means is that God gave to each person, to each individual personhood. Your puppy and your cat does not have personhood no matter what you think, okay? <laughs> this is our unique personal identity we receive at the moment of conception. Everything that is needed for that 
conception is within, at the moment of conception, is there already for that child to become a full-grown girl or boy. This gives man intrinsic value over all other created life forms. Every individual's person's life is sacred before Almighty God from the moment of conception. Doug read for us, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. An abortion takes the life of a unique person created in the image of God. Exodus 20.13 says, You shall not murder. When Cain, the first murderer, killed his brother Abel, God said, The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What does that mean? It means that Abel's blood cried out to God for justice. And I have to believe that the innocent blood of almost 64 million children is right now crying out to God for justice. Do we not know that America is under God's judgment? Do we not realize that America is under God's hand of judgment? You cannot destroy 64 million innocent lives and think that God is going to look the other way. Now, when we come up against this and other immoral things in our culture, we sometimes feel like we're fighting against a, uh, a windmill or, or, or we're, we're just fighting against there's so much power, so much influence on the other side. It always seems that the ungodly have more people, they have more influence, they have more power, they have more money. But it's always been that way with the people of God. You just go read through the scripture. You see that time and time again. So we should not be surprised. But we have God. And when we have God, we have the majority. Remember in um, Elijah? Elijah, he had that wonderful victory on Mount Carmel, and then he ran from the wicked Jezebel and ends up in a cave. And he's feeling sorry for himself. And he says to God, I'm the only one, you know, that's been faithful and I love what God tells him in 1 Kings 19, 18. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee. God always has his righteous remnant. And such is the case today in America. We need to remember that God is a God of love. When we read a psalm like this, it's sort of shocking. I mean, reading, I read from Psalm 145, and that's kind of what we're used to in the Psalms, you know, how God is great and how God blesses us and how God takes care of us. And then we come to a Psalm like Psalm 58, and it's, I mean, it almost shocks our senses that, that this would be in, in the Bible. But remember, God is not just a God of love. He's a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. Psalm 917 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. The sad thing is, in our country, the scourge of abortion is promoted by our leaders, endorsed by our leaders, and on both sides of the aisle, and in many different places. Abortion is becoming something in our country that not only they try to make into law, which now has been overturned to a point, 
but it's also something that is endorsed by the majority of Americans and the majority of the leaders in America. One of the ways that God judged Israel, and I realize America is not Israel. I don't confuse that, and I don't take a passage like this and try to Americanize it. But there are principles here that we can look at. There are truths here that we can look at. I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, forever. And we can see how God, how he administers his justice in every generation. And so one of the ways God judged Israel was by putting leaders in place who were worthless and removing faithful, righteous persons from leadership. Isaiah 3, 4, I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. Meaning men acting like children in their ignorance and in their arrogance and in their pettiness. And such a person was King Saul. Now, this is what we call an imprecatory psalm. There are a few imprecatory psalms in the Bible. Imprecatory is the idea of curses. It's the idea of coming against someone and invoking evil on one. It's, it's the idea of praying for punishment, for God to punish this evil person or persons. And so you wouldn't hear a message like this coming from a liberal pulpit. So what is the, what is the background of this psalm? Well, we don't know for sure. It's a psalm of David. We're told that. A couple things, that, a couple places in David's life that it could be true. I tend to think it's probably when he was running from Saul. The other one could be when he had to leave Jerusalem because of his son Absalom's rebellion. So either one of those would fit this situation. David is the anointed king of Israel, and he has to go into exile, and other people, ungodly rulers, are ruling in his place. Now, what do we do with these imprecatory psalms? Are they appropriate for our time? So we go to the New Testament, and what's the New Testament say we as Christians are obligated to do when it comes to our civil rulers? We know Romans 13, that all power is ordained by God. Everybody who's in a place of, rule, of, of power is put there by God. We understand that. We also know that we are commanded to pray for those in authority. We are commanded to submit to those in authority. So what do we do with a psalm like this? Is it proper to read an imprecatory psalm and take that principle and bring it into our culture, into our situation today? Yes, we are to pray for our leaders. We are to obey our leaders and submit to them. But if they're doing evil, we can certainly pray to God to deal with that evil. And that is what David is doing in this psalm. And I would submit to you that nothing is more evil in our time than the endorsement and the propagation of abortion. We live in a country that endorses mass murder. Now, some people, when I talk like that, they don't like that. Oh, that's inflammatory language. You shouldn't speak that way. That's, you know, talk about abortion that way. Don't you know all the nuances and all the different aspects? What I know about abortion is it is taking the innocent life of a human being created in the image of God, one that has an eternal soul. 
So I have every reason to say we live in a country that has murdered over 64 million innocent children. That, my friend, is mass murder. Notice at the beginning, if you have a reference Bible, probably most Bibles have the title, A Mictum of David. That word mictum, we're not exactly sure how to translate that. Some say it means golden. Others say it's a tablet inscription. Some think that possibly the meaning is that this psalm should be engraved in stone. That could be one of the ideas here. Now, it's our desire to apply Scripture in the right way, to interpret Scripture in the right way. So as I said, I know America is not Israel. I realize that. But I do believe if we interpret the passage properly, then we can apply the passage properly. So notice, first of all, the accusation against these unjust rulers, because that's what this psalm is about, the unjust rulers at that time in Israel. Verse 1, do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? I believe David asked these questions with bitter irony, bitter irony. He asked the leaders to justify your silence in the face of wrong. So many of our leaders do what is expedient. They don't do what is right. You look at the political landscape, I don't care what party or what person or whatever. You know, it's, it's not about truth. It's not about righteousness in many cases, most cases. Look at verse 2. Know in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. Note the heart and the hands. What they do, the wickedness they do with their hands comes out of the wickedness that is in their heart. Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And so when wickedness comes out of the mouth, when we do wickedness with our hands, those actions are the outworking, in their cases, of an evil heart. Scales and weights symbolize the administration of justice. Their judgments were unjust. They were promoting violence. Solomon bemoans the fact in Ecclesiastes 3, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and every good work. Yes, God in his time will judge. There will be a day of reckoning. And we see this in this psalm. Now David turns from speaking to them to speaking about them. Look at verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Now he's talking about man's tendency. Our nature is not to goodness. Our nature is to sin. David says this even of himself in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. If you are a parent and you have children, you know the reality of these verses. We don't teach our children to sin. We teach our children to do right. We discipline them. We raise them in order to correct them and turn their hearts toward the Lord and his word. How soon does a child tell a lie to excuse a sin? Very soon. And we as adults 
often do the same thing. The idea here seems to be that these rulers, their original sin at birth has gone unchecked, and now as adults, they've become altogether corrupt. They are habitual liars. So David compares them to a serpent, which is also, by the way, representative of Satan. Verse 4, their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Their words are like poison. Like a snake that can't be charmed, these wicked rulers will not heed the voices of truth. They turn their ear away from God's word. They turn their ear away from righteousness. They take counsel of their own wisdom, which is corrupted by the evil that's in their hearts. I think we have all understood that the moral consensus in America is gone. I'm not saying that America was ever a Christian nation, but there was a moral consensus for a time. Abortion was wrong. Murder was wrong. Adultery was wrong. Um, homosexuality was wrong. These were things that in society was pretty much agreed upon. Well, that has long since gone down the road. And now what is evil is called good. And what is good is now called evil. You see, when man rejects God's revelation, and in our culture and around the world, they've accepted the damnable heresy of Darwinian evolution to do away with God and his law, that's the primary reason that life has become so devalued in the world today. Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia are all outgrowths of this centered, man-centered worldview. It was, as, it was so in Paul's day, Romans chapter 1, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, if you think because God does not directly intervene, though sometimes he does, that he doesn't just directly intervene and take the life of some of these wicked rulers, but yet God is working his own purposes in his time. So notice the condemnation of the unjust rulers. Verse 6, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Again, he's speaking in poetic language. He's, he's using these as illustrations. David's response is so different than many modern preachers today. They want to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God. They don't want to talk about the justice of God. They don't want to preach about sin. David doesn't mince his words. He compares his enemies to the fierceness and violence of lions. And you'll notice 1 Peter 5, 8, that again, like the serpent, lion, a lion is an image of Satan. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to recognize that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. The scourge of abortion is spiritual warfare. All of these ungodly uh, uh, theories, all of these ungodly tenets that are sweeping through our culture, they come from one mind. It's the mind of Satan. And these are people who are literally doing Satan's bid. Satan is the first liar. He is a murderer. 
Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When David uses the word break, it means to tear out. It's pretty strong language. He's asking God to take away the means, just like a lion has teeth or a serpent has fangs. He's asking God to take away from these wicked rulers their ability to do more evil, to do more harm. We can pray and we should pray for God to hinder the evil that is going on in our culture. Like a snake charmer who would beat out the fangs of a serpent with a stone. He says in verse 7, let them flow away as waters which run continually when he bends his bow. Let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. David prays that these evil rulers would just melt away like water on the ground. The idea is that God would cause all of their scheming and, and all of their plotting to ultimately come to nothing. Do you ever wonder why you live at such a time as this? If you look at different times in history, that God has ordained that each of us should live now at this time in history. You go back and you trace the history of the world and you look at it through the, the lens of the Bible, which is the only real way to get truth. And you see that God's people in every generation have had to struggle with this issue of evil. So David takes great comfort in the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. He takes refuge there. Verse 8, let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. In those days, they thought when the snail left that slimy trail, it was actually disintegrating or dissolving. Do you know, some men like Judas are so wicked that God would say of them, it is better that they had never been born. Listen to what Jesus said about Judas. What would that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed? It would have been good for that man if he had never been born born. David is the true anointed king of Israel, yet he's running for his life, whether it be the time of Saul, whether it be the time of Absalom, and wicked, ungodly people are ruling in his place, and they're causing great harm to the nation. And so David is praying against those people, against the evil that they do. We do need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. We do need to pray and, and submit to them as long as that submission to them does not interfere with our submission to God. In that case, we always submit to God, no matter what the consequences are. But we can pray against the evil that they are propagating, such as the evil of abortion. There's a man named Asaph who was one of the musicians who served in the temple when David was king. And he wrote Psalm 73. He said, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The whole psalm is about why do the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to have so much trouble? Why is it that I see wicked men and, and they don't seem to have the, the problems and the struggles that, and here I am trying to live for the Lord. And that's something that many godly people have struggled with over the years. He couldn't understand that. But there's a very telling verse in Psalm 73. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. 
And those people have long since passed into eternity that Asaph was talking about. And if they did not repent of their evil, they were turned into hell. Unless sinful men and women repent of their sin and come to Christ for salvation. If you are here today and you've never understood that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He died on the cross for your sin, He was suffered, He suffered for you, He took the punishment that you and I deserve on Himself. He died, was buried, but He rose again, showing that God accepted His sacrifice for sin. And it's the only sacrifice. God will ever accept. He's not going to accept your morality. He's not going to accept your religiosity. He's not going to accept your good works. The only thing God will accept to pay the payment of sin is the suffering and death and the shed blood of his own perfect son. And when people do not repent of their sin, they will be eternally damned. Verse 9, before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. It's a very difficult verse to interpret. It's sort of the imagery of, at that time, they would take thorns or whatever they could find if they're out somewhere to, uh, to, to cook their meal and put the fire un, under a pot. It says in the New American Standard Bible, before your pots can feel the fire of thorns, he will sweep them away with a whirlwind, the green and the burning alike. The New Living Translation says, God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. It's the idea that when judgment comes, it comes very quickly. And though God seems to delay, and though we can pray like the psalmist, oh God, why don't you rend the heavens and come down? Why don't you take care of all this injustice? Don't you see the millions of babies that are being destroyed, the lives that are being destroyed, the mothers' lives as well as the lives of these precious children? But we do know that all of the wicked's actions will ultimately come to nothing. Like a whirlwind that would sweep across the desert and would blow away the pot, the meat, the thorns, and the fire, and all their works will ultimately be destroyed. And we have that hope in the sovereignty of God. Well, David ends the psalm on a high note because he talks about the reward for the righteous, verse 10. He looks at the blessing that God has in store for the believing remnant of Israel and also for us as God's believing people in our generation. First of all, look at the rejoicing of the righteous, verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. I believe the he should be capitalized. The righteous rejoice when they see God's vengeance. God will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. One day we will rejoice to see justice triumph over wickedness. This is not personal retribution. This is not personal vengeance. There is no delight in seeing people destroyed, but we will rejoice when we see God's justice come upon the earth and ungodly people. Isaiah saw a vision of the coming of Jesus, Yahweh, when he comes to destroy the wicked and save Israel at the end of the tribulation at the battle of Armageddon. This is a very strong language, Isaiah 63. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? And the Lord answers the question. 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury, and their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. It's a vivid picture of Jesus using the imagery of trotting down grapes in a wine press where the grape juice would splash up on someone's garments. It's a picture that is used in vivid imagery of the blood of the wicked splashing up on the robes of Christ. God is a God of love, but he is a God of justice. 1 John 5 says, for this 5, 3 says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So you can't say you love God and then break his commandments. You can't say you love God and then just live any way you want to and have no, no, uh, uh, take no value in human life. You can't just say you love God and live accord, uh, uh, not in obedience to his, to his word. One day the godly will rejoice to see their faith in the providence of God found to be true. The world may laugh at us now. There may be times when we wonder, God, why do you let these things happen? Don't you see what's going on in the world today? Yes, God sees. And he records. He records everything. And there will be a day of reckoning. A day of reckoning for individuals, a day of reckoning for nations. So notice the reward of the righteous, verse 11. So that men will say, surely there's a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. Do you realize how many of these wicked people do not believe in God? Or they say there is no God? Or they hate God? Spurgeon in his commentary writes this. All men shall be forced by the sight of the final judgment to see that there is a God and that he is the righteous ruler of the universe. Two things will come out clearly after all. There is a God and there is a reward for the righteous. Time will remove all doubts, solve difficulties, reveal secrets. Meanwhile, face foreseeing eye discerns the truth even now and is glad thereat. By faith, we look at the word of God. God has given enough information about the future. So with our faith, we can foresee that what God says is going to come is going to come. There will be a day of the vengeance of our God. And though we would not want anyone to suffer God's vengeance here or in eternity. But God is a just God. And all sin and wickedness must be punished. We should continue to do whatever we can to save as many innocent lives as possible. We can take heart that God will ultimately judge the ungodly. We need to cry out about the evil in our generation and, and pray against it. But we need to continue to share the gospel. We need to speak with compassion, realizing these people are lost realizing they, they have been duped by Satan and pray for more and more people to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude wrote some powerful verses in Jude 14 and 15. 
He talked about Enoch, Enoch the seventh from Adam, one of the men who he walked with God, and he walked with God so close, God just took him right up to heaven. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We need to pray that these people realize they are standing on the precipice of eternal damnation. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, death is your worst nightmare. There's no annihilation. You don't just cease to exist. God has placed within you an eternal soul. And the Bible says God has put that knowledge within every person. You can try to deny it. You can try to push it down. But instinctively, you know there's more to you than just material. You're not just a bag of bones. You have an eternal soul. And if you step into eternity and you have not had your sins forgiven by Jesus Christ, God will have no choice but to treat you as a rebel against his law. And you will face eternal damnation. And no one wants to see someone fall into hell. So we need to pray for our rulers. We need to submit when we can. We need to pray against evil in our culture. We need to pray that God would sweep the scourge of abortion. We need to pray for the women who've been used by this terrible sin. I've been reading a book. Um, Abraham Lincoln is my historical hero. I've been reading a new book about Abraham Lincoln, and the author goes back and he's tracing the the history of slavery up until the Emancipation Proclamation. And the bottom line is that the, the people did not want to lose their slaves because of one reason, money. Always comes down to that, money and power. Planned Parenthood and these abortion mills, it's all about money. Actually selling parts of aborted children, throwing a child in a trash can like a piece of garbage. How can a person get to that point? And they do so much harm to the women. And the women don't realize they're just simply being used for someone else's profit. We need to pray for this whole issue and pray with compassion and minister to those who have had an abortion to help them understand the forgiveness that God can offer through Jesus Christ and that God stands ready to love them and to save them. Now, we might think, okay, preacher, you preach this message about un- ungodly rulers, and we see what's happening in our country. I mean, do you really expect God to, you know, to save some of these people, to move on their hearts? Do you remember the book of Daniel? Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? The most powerful man in the world at that time. A pagan, an idolater. He stands on the roof one day and he looks over great Babylon and the hanging gardens of Babylon and the beauty of the city of Babylon, which historians tell us was just magnificent to behold. And he says, isn't this great Babylon that I have built with my might, with my power? And a voice from heaven comes. Next thing you know, Nebuchadnezzar's in the backyard eating grass. He loses his mind. After a time, God permits him to have his mind restored, 
And you can read Daniel chapter 4 and read the personal testimony of the most powerful man in his generation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of, those works are, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. God can humble any ungodly ruler in any age. We have the power of prayer. And we have a power that they don't even understand. That's the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is so powerful, it can change the hearts and minds of men and women. We need to speak out against abortion with compassion, not in some arrogant way, not in some hateful way, to recognize that so many of these women are caught in situations. And that's why we support the, the ministries we support that offer an alternative. That there are people ready and willing to adopt these children and to get that message out, while at the same time praying against the evil in our culture, particularly when it comes to this issue of abortion.